All right, go ahead and find a seat, hopefully the one that you were in before, but if not, that's okay too. Um, I just want to welcome you again. If, if I haven't met you, my name is Jake. Um, it's my privilege to be here and, and talking with you guys today. Um, before I get, get into this, I got to address the elephant in the room, and it is this thing that's like on my upper lip. And the reason I have to is because I can tell, like, nobody has looked me in the eyes yet today. It's like, so you can, just don't look directly at it. That's the thing, all right? And every time I'm saying something really, really serious, don't start laughing. But if you do, I'll understand why. I'll feel good for the first time, like, I'm actually, I actually feel funny. So um, you're laughing with me, right? Not at me? Okay. Um, well, yeah, it's great. It's great to be here this morning. I'm excited um, about what God has for us. And um, we've been in this series called In Focus since I've um, kind of been back. And, and, and basically this series is just looking closer at what we exist for. Why are we here? What, is, what does God want from us? And, and we've been kind of gradually working our way to where we are today. And so um, part one of this series, In Focus, um, kind of concentrated on what is God up to in the world? And this kingdom concept, what, what is the kingdom? And, and Jesus gives us these like really powerful words in like the most famous prayer ever where he says, pray like this, pray that um, the kingdom would come on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's, it's this incredibly cool picture of the reality that, that God wants us to value this life, the people in this life and, and our lives in such a way that we, that we actually create kingdom spaces on earth. We bring heaven to earth. Instead of being people who just kind of sit around and wait for something better, wait for something that's coming, we actually have the opportunity and are actually called to be people who bring heaven here. In the everyday moments of our lives with people, um, dark, shining light into dark places and, and looking people in the eye and showing people value. And this is the way we do that. We talked a ton about that. And it's an incredibly cool thing. Part two was like, who are we called to be within those kind of kingdom spaces? And we use this illustration of, um, of kingdom of priests, right? 1 Peter 2.9 gives us this definition of who we are in Christ. It says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Simply put, we are bridges to our God, to the grace and the power that comes with life in him. And God has called each one of us to this unique ministry that is, is really about, about showing people who God is and creating open lanes for people to connect with this God that is so completely thrilled with them and longs for relationship with them. I mean, our job is to simply be a bridge. We are a, a nation of priests. Well, today we're making a, another transition, another transition to um, what might be my favorite part of this series. And I really believe wholeheartedly that this is this morning and the next over the next three weeks, this is a real game changer for, for, finding, for finding life. Today we shift from the discussion about me, who am I, to this, the discussion about we, who are we. What is the church? You know, like it's, it's sometimes weird. I don't know if you feel this, but every once in a while when I come into this place and I've been doing the church thing my whole life, I should be super comfortable with it. But oftentimes I say to myself, this is weird. It's weird for a bunch of adults to gather in a room and sing songs. Like, we don't do that in any other context, except maybe, like, in a bar with, like, karaoke, right? There, there's no other context for adults doing something like this. So it's, it, what do we exist for? It can't be this. It can't just be this. And I believe it isn't just this. 
Um, we're not called to live the kingdom in isolation, but to take who we are as individuals and come together in an effort to be even more effective at living into the call of God on our lives and accomplishing his purposes in the world. So once we have our identity clear, who we are and what God is up to in the world, then we can begin to have a conversation about we. Why do we exist? Why does the church exist? I think it's a really important question that has sort of been like a struggle for me for probably the last 10 years. And going back seven years ago when we started Finding Life, it was, it was because of that sort of tension in my heart. Like, what is the purpose of the church? And when I look around at what my experience has been, it can't be this. It can't only be this. This feels dead. This feels dry. This feels pointless. And so clarity on why we exist, I think, is absolutely paramount for us understanding our purpose on this planet. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 28. This is a verse that sort of like captured my heart um, in just about every way over the course of the last decade um, and driven just about every decision that I've made from like a, a church and ministry standpoint. Um, and just to give you a sense of what go, what's going on, we're going to start in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Um, but I want to like back up just a little bit. So we know some of the story, right? Jesus dies on the cross. Um, he raises from the dead. That's the Easter story, right? Um, and then he comes back, like he comes back and starts showing himself to people. And people are sort of confused and they don't want to know what's going on. But he's making his way around and essentially showing like, hey, yeah, death couldn't hold me down. And that's pretty, pretty awesome, right? But he gets it with his disciples in this room and he's, and he's going to give them some like final instructions. And so there's this glimpse that we have into the heart of God that is really super unique. Okay? And you can imagine for yourself, if you spent your entire life working for something, building a business or building um, whatever it is that you're building, something that matters to you more than anything, and you've given your life for it, not just living, but even in death, you've given everything for it, and now you are handing that thing off to somebody else. First of all, you're going to take your time in making the decision about who, right? It's going to have to be the right people, right? You're not just going to give this thing that you've given everything for to anybody, and you're going to be really clear on what you want them to do. If this is the last chance you have to talk to them before they have to go and execute and continue what you were doing before, they better understand your heart. And so that's what's happening right here. Jesus is coming before these 11 guys and he's saying, all right, it's your turn now. Like, I'm out of here. I'm done. And I have been doing this thing and now it's your job to keep doing it. And the end result of all of this ends up being the church. But it's these statements that really define the church for us. And so we got to look at them kind of close. Starting in verse 16. Here it is, the narrative. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Well, yeah, because he was dead not that long ago. Um, we might doubt a little bit too. Verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I command, all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus meets with these guys, knowing the significance of the moment, knowing the significance of the word, knowing that he is about to catalyze a movement unlike anything the world has ever seen. And these are the words that he chooses. Go and make disciples. Go. He says, all authority has been given to me, and with that authority, I'm charging you with one, one job. You know, you had one job. <laughs> the, the church, that could be like a meme for the church. You had one job, and we missed it. 
Here it is. Here's the one job. And I'm excited this morning about the potential for clarity, not just for your own heart, but for the church as a whole. We get wrapped up in all kinds of things that it's never been about. He says, go away from here. And as you are going, which is really like the literal interpretation, it's more of like a movement-oriented thing. Like, he's not saying go somewhere specific. He's saying, go live life. Go create kingdom spaces. Go love people really, really well. Oh, and by the way, while you're doing that, make disciples. He didn't say go and gather crowds. He didn't say go and feed the poor. He didn't say go and live generously. He didn't say go and teach people about the Bible. He didn't say go and preach the gospel. He didn't say go start churches. Those aren't bad things. He said, as you go about the everyday of your life, make disciples of all kinds of people, claiming their hearts for the cause of Christ and showing them how to give that grace, forgiveness, and freedom they've experienced away to everyone they come in contact with until the glory and love of God reaches the ends of the earth, until every heart is transformed by the presence and the power of a personal God. That is the mandate of the church. That is what, that is what Jesus is saying with his last words to his people who would be the fathers of the church because they were there, we are here. And so often I wonder, like, how did we get this out of that? And I'm not here to say that this is bad. I love this. Like, it's like my favorite day of the week. But this is simply a byproduct and gets all of its power, all of its goodness from another reality, from the reality that, that this isn't what it's about, but this is what it's about. Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples. When we get to heaven, Jesus won't ask us how big our worship centers were. He won't ask us how, how, how loud our speakers were. He won't ask how many churches we planted. He won't ask many people, how many people we convinced to become Christians. He won't ask, ask us how many Bible verses we memorized. He will ask us a simple question, I'm convinced. Did we make disciples? Is that what we existed for? Well, it's the reason the church exists by all means necessary, so then our gatherings, our life groups, our programs, our relationships, our money, our time, our everything are simply tools for making disciples by all means necessary. It's the purpose of the church. It sounds simple, right? I'm convinced that it actually is supposed to be very simple. Easy? Maybe that's another question. So all of this hinges upon um, clarity, right? Clarity on what seems to be kind of an obvious question. Maybe you're already asking it in your own heart, in your own mind. What the heck is a disciple? What does that mean? Like, that's not a word we use, disciple. Um, more modern language would be a follower. Um, but I want to give us a definition, and, and I want to give a definition that's going to sort of stand as like, like a definition that we hold, that we grab onto, that we embrace, that we actually begin to understand as kind of the defining character trait of somebody who has chosen, like, yeah, I want, I want to, like, identify myself with this Jesus okay this is it's on your it's on your worship flyer on the back if you want to get that out I want you to read it I want you to get to the point where you're comfortable with this because we're going to talk about it a lot here's my definition of a disciple a disciple is someone who is continually listening to Jesus and striving to respond with obedience to what they hear what I want you to hear most from this definition more than anything else is the process oriented nature of it Right? It's always about a process. I think one of the ways we've screwed this whole thing up is by sort of turning like life with God or faith into like 
an event-oriented thing. Like if I can just get to this point or if that's the measuring stick. Once I've read this or, or accomplished this or achieved this or, or once we have this many people in our church or whatever. And the truth is discipleship is a, a journey. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. The journey of a disciple is an endless one. We never move on. We never graduate. It's a daily pursuit of the same two things. We aren't checking things off of a list or climbing a ladder. We aren't striving to get better at hearing from God and responding with a yes. This is the essence of being a follower. In this economy, the only measurement for success is staying on an authentic pursuit, continuing on that journey. Some days we're going to be really, really good at it. Some days we're going to be really terrible at it, fall flat on our faces. The only thing that matters is that we never quit. I think there's a ton of freedom in that. We aren't climbing some ladder. We aren't comparing one to another. See, we're all on the exact same journey and every day is, is the same task is at hand, listening, hearing from God and responding to whatever it is that we're hearing. That means what God is, is, is speaking to your heart is different than what God is speaking to my heart, but we respond the same way in obedience to what he's calling us to because he is God and we are not there's no hierarchy. One can't be better than another as long as each is in an authentic pursuit. A disciple then, hear this, must let go of the desire to perform or to excel or to get ahead. Guess what? You can't excel at this. You can't win at this. You can't be better than somebody at this. We're all on the same playing field. A disciple must let go of the desire to perform to excel, to get ahead, and rest in the transformational posture of surrender, right? Rest in the transformational posture of surrender. I'm convinced that this is what life with God was always meant to be. This is what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples. He said, go and free people into this lifestyle, and then let that, like, multiply over and over and over and over and over again. So every single person has experienced through another person the power, the grace, the mercy, forgiveness, community that God intends for all of us to experience. I hope you're seeing what I'm talking about. Um, I want you to first and foremost connect with this this morning, with the ongoing process nature of discipleship. We are daily, even moment by moment, leaning into a process of being shaped into the likeness of Jesus, conformed to his image, Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together um, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. This is what God is doing. He, what he wants to do in your life is make you look more and more like Jesus all the time. It's the journey of a disciple. Every single day, a little more like him, you and I were called out of darkness into wonderful light for the purpose of being conformed to the image of Jesus. This is what God wants to do with you and with me. Discipleship then is, uh, is the journey we go on when we say, yeah, okay, God, I, I, want, I, I guess I want to like see a little bit more about this Jesus thing. That's when discipleship begins. When we're like, okay, I wanna, I, I'm interested, I'm, I'm intrigued. Jesus, good guy, did some good things. Kind of like to get a little more of a sense of what that looks like. And then every day from then on, we enter on this journey. 
Um, Hebrews 10.14 says it really, really well. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. This is an incredible um, verse that's kind of describing the impact of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. By one offering, he forever made perfect you and me, which, like, that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> How he could make us perfect is beyond me. But, but, but the most powerful part of that is those who are being made holy. You hear the process nature of that. He made us perfect, boom, awesome. Now he wants to spend the rest of our lives making us into these, like, like miniature versions of Jesus, completely holy. But it's a process. We are being made holy. And I don't know about you, but that process, that idea of process, it just frees me to not have to be something like today, to not put pressure on myself, but to just live daily in that restful place of surrender. A disciple is not one who is a perfect representation of Christ at all times, in all aspects, but one who is continually, continually, and that's the key word, continually placing their lives on the altar of worship so that God can do transformational work in and through their lives. So with the remainder of our time this morning, I want to kind of break that down. What is a disciple? And I want to make it as simple as I possibly can. I want to say this too. I think that this, this like invitation into living like a disciple is an incredibly freeing one. But I also say this, it's like a super like high calling. Like it's not easy. This is hard. It actually goes against so much of what, what comes natural to us because it's not a thing that's comfortable, right? And we'll get into that a little bit more of why it's not very comfortable. One more time, I want you to hear the, the working definition. A disciple is someone who is continually listening to Jesus and striving to respond with obedience to what they hear. They listen and obey. They hear and do. See and follow. Connect with and apply. You could say it however you want, but it boils down really simply to listen and obey. Listen and obey. I don't know about you, um, but I've spent most of my life overthinking my faith, overthinking what God had for me, and I love that the, the freedom that clarity creates on what a disciple is. I think it will lay a foundation for us um, that the church needs for us to see a way forward and stop missing God's intention for the church. Go and show people how to follow Jesus, how to live like him, how to listen to the heart of Jesus and respond with obedience to what he is saying. This is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So if you have your outline, you can get that out. There's three things that I just want to talk about um, today as we um, continue to dive into this. Number one, it's on there. It says a disciple is one who's continually listening. You see that word again, continually, um, because it's process. It's not a one and done. It's not, oh, I've got to accomplish that, check it off the list and move on. It's a continual lifestyle orientation. You can't follow someone if you aren't in tune with who they are and what they care about. Makes sense, right? This is, this is where discipleship begins. It's, it's taking a listening posture. What does Jesus want from me? Not what do I want from me? Do you know what God wants from you? Maybe that sounds like a dumb question. Maybe you think, yeah, generally speaking, I know what he wants from me. I'm not really talking about general sense. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about in the next moment of interaction with another human being. What does God want from me all the time? I think it's a, a constantly changing question because life happens. And listening, a listening posture is taking the position of someone who's saying, I need to hear from God all the time. I need to be ready for what he wants me to hear all the time. Um, this is really about connectedness. It's about staying connected to the heart of God. 
Jesus is talking about uh, this kind of connectedness in John chapter 10. Um, and he uses this illustration about sheep and a shepherd. He says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. We are the sheep in this illustration. He's the shepherd, right? And it's clear like how he's putting us underneath him as people who need to follow him. And it begins with listening. My sheep listen to my voice. Why? Why does a sheep need to listen? Because sheep are dumb. Sheep don't know what they're doing. Like, this is somewhat laughable because Jesus knows the context that he's talking in, right? These people are shepherds. These people have sheep. These people know how dumb sheep are because they watch it all the time. I was looking at some articles and reading up on sheep a little bit because I've always heard they were dumb, but I wanted to, like, know a little bit more. I don't know if this is a legit article or not or news story or not, but the headline actually said, this is an actual news story. I don't know. Everything on the Internet's true, right? Um, Listen to this. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their death in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to the local farmers was estimated $74,000. So like the picture of what's going on here is one sheep goes off the ledge and they all just start following. Like, and they're falling like one at a time off of this ledge. This is sort of like the picture that we're supposed to have in our minds when Jesus is making this illustration. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Sheep has to have a shepherd. If sheep don't have a shepherd, they are going to die. Um, I'm not saying Jesus is calling all of us dumb, but what he is pointing out is our utter dependency on him. If we want to have anything good, kingdom-oriented, come from our lives, then we have to listen to the voice of our shepherd because we can't do this thing on our own. There's no way. We need to cling to our shepherd as if life depended on it. Jesus uses another story in John 15 to illustrate how important it is for us to be connected with him. John 15, he says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father. Hear that. Jesus is talking about the connectedness that he longs for us to have with him. And he's using this this vine illustration, right? He's saying you've got to stay connected. What happens when a branch gets disconnected from the vine? It dies. It dies. It falls off the vine. When it stays on the vine, it's connected to the vine. It produces much, much fruit. It's a powerful illustration. It's a powerful picture of what happens to us disconnected from God. And it's essentially, it's essentially saying, you've got to hear from God. You've got to hear from him. I, I've been, like, utterly discouraged lately um, by the, like, incredible amount of just, like, lies that circulate on Facebook. Like, you don't know what's true anymore. Like, every... Everything that goes like on Facebook is like just another fake article that looks like it's real and it just gets shared over and over and we don't know what's true and what's not. And so we're sort of left to just sort of guess, guess our way through things. This is what we end up doing in life when we aren't connected to the Father. 
when we aren't connected, when we aren't listening, when we can't hear the voice of our shepherd. And he longs for us to hear him. I'm excited um, next week as we dive into listening. What does it really mean to listen? What does it look like to listen? How do we listen? Because I find it incredibly fascinating that the God of the universe who painted the, the stars in the sky is also saying, guess what? I want you to hear from me personally. That's crazy. There's so much life in that place. And we're going to dive deeper into that. But here's the reality. A disciple listens. Listens. We can't follow if we aren't listening. Impossible. There's no way. Listening to the heart of God in the everyday moments is the only way to remain connected to his heart to know what he wants. And as it said in John 15, when we are, it says we can ask anything we want and it will be granted. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. I'm not promising anything. I'm reading about the power of life connected to Jesus. And I'm not sure we've even scraped the surface of it. But it gets me excited to think about when we listen. Like I said, next week we're going to flesh that out a little bit more. But moving on to number two, a disciple is one who is continually obeying. There's that word continually again. Continually listening, continually obeying. And there's that word, right? Obeying. Like how many people in this room would raise their hand and sign up for obedience? Like that's one of the harshest words we can pot. Like once we're past the age of like 10, we don't do obedience anymore. I mean, we don't even like up to age 10. I have kids. But we have to, so we do, right? We tell our kids to obey. We don't like to obey. We don't like anyone telling us to obey. Like that's a, that's a gross word in our, in our minds and in our hearts. Our innately negative response to the word obey strikes at the heart of why we in the church struggle to live out the ultimate call of the church. Because at the end of the day, it's a power struggle. Who's in charge? Is it me or is it God? And I'm just going to like lay this like bomb out there for a minute. If you are in charge, you are not a disciple of Jesus. It's just, it's just, it's the basic reality, right? Who's in charge? If you have a family with kids, you know what this feels like. You know what it feels like when your kids try to take charge. I have a 15-year-old and that she's like always trying to take charge these days. Sorry, Sadie, if you're back there. Like, it's what we do. It's, it's, it's natural to all of us. And so there's this constant power struggle. But at the end of the day, who's in charge? The one who's in charge, the one who's in charge is the one that you follow. And so if, if God's not in charge, then we cannot possibly follow him. And so I think we've got to do some business in our hearts with this idea of obedience because it is at the core of what it means to do life and faith. A, dis a disciple of Jesus recognizes that obedience is not just a word that describes something we are supposed to do, but it is actually an identifying trait of a follower. It's a picture we are called to choose, or a posture we are called to choose and embrace. We simply can't get around it. We can't get around it. It's impossible. A follower doesn't make the rules. A follower follows the rules. A follower doesn't set the path. A follower walks along the path given to them. And there's like some humility stuff in my heart that obviously God needs to do something with because I still don't respond well to the idea that I'm not in charge. I want to be. I want, we all, it's natural. We all want to be in charge, but we have to embrace a position as submissive or we will never experience the life we were intended to experience. Obedience is a surrender issue. In case you need 
me to clarify, I'm not asking anybody to obey me. This isn't like Jake said it, I should do it. This is about listening to what God is saying and obeying what he's calling us to live. Obedience is a mandate. The mandate on the life of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, a disciple. As we dive into this more in the coming weeks, what I really hope to to help us see, and I think this is the kicker, this, this life of surrender and obedience in the right context is actually the most freeing possible thing you will ever experience. Because it's, it's right. And if I use the, the, the parent-child um, illustration again, when our kids like act out, when they get prideful, when they get arrogant, when they put their foot down, you've probably experienced this as a parent when everything is, is like chaotic and nobody knows up from down and nobody knows who's in charge, kids feel anxious. When, mom, when mom's in charge, when mom's got this thing under control, when dad's where he's supposed to be, it brings peace and freedom to a child because it's, this nat- it's the way it's supposed to be. And kids know it deep down. And for us, it's about recognizing this is the way it's supposed to be. We are not God, and we can find so much more freedom in a life surrendered and ready and willing to listen and obey than any other kind of life. And, I, and I, in a couple of weeks, I hope I can like spell that out for you in ways that you've never experienced before. And this obedience word could actually become something that we not just embrace, but we cling to it. Because it feels so good to be connected to our God over and over As God relates to his people in scripture, he sets up obedience as the gateway to life and power and his presence. Beginning with the first interaction he had with people in Genesis chapter 26. He's talking to Abraham. He says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heaven. I will give you descendants of all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. There's this like, this natural connection between the power, the presence, the blessing of God, and human obedience. You can't get around it. As disciples of Jesus, obedience needs to become not only the posture our hearts take, but something we become dependent on for anything good to flow out of our broken lives. Obedience to the will of God, when in the context of intimacy, it is not a death sentence. It's a life, it's a life sentence. It releases us into the adventure of life we were intended to live with freedom and confidence. Our power lies there. Our hope is founded on that. The promises we cling to are dependent on our embracing of submissive obedience to the will of God. It's crazy. It's really that simple. A disciple has two jobs, to listen and obey. There's a subtle nuance that I want you to not miss because it can be so easy and quick because this is the way our minds work to immediately start going, like measuring our behavior. These are behaviorally oriented things, right? Listen and obey. Okay, I'll give, tell me how to listen. I'll start checking that box. Tell me how to obey. I'll do that. That'll make me a good Christian. Wrong, right? Listen to the subtle difference. A behavioral approach to discipleship sounds like this. I am a disciple, so now I got to listen and obey. It's a natural flow, okay? If I want to be one, I got to do these things. Rules-oriented, behaviorally-oriented. Now listen to a heart-first approach. I'm a broken and, I am broken and limited, yet I have been made new and called to a purpose. 
The God of the universe wants to know me, transform me, and use me. He has given me access to his heart, to his desires for my life and the world. I get to listen. I get to hear. And I'm honored to live into the life that he has called me to in humble obedience, which makes me a disciple. A, a subtle nuance that we have to get right. We cannot approach this with a behavioral-driven mentality. And that's where we'll go if we're not careful because that's who we are. It's the difference between a life that's, that's regulated by rules and a life that is, is, is being released with freedom to live out what we were designed to live out in a powerful way. And I just want you to connect with that for a moment. A disciple doesn't have to have it all together. A disciple isn't someone who has all the answers. A disciple isn't someone who never screws up. A disciple isn't perfect, nor are they even striving to be. A disciple is simply aware of their own limitations and wants the power and purpose of God to rest heavy on their lives. A disciple simply listens and obeys. Listens and obeys. What does God want from me tomorrow? What does God want from me right now in these moments with this person, with this aspect of, of my job? It's everything, and it finds its way into every aspect of our lives. I realized as I was preparing this week and, and just dealing with these two things, listening and obeying, that there was one thing that I felt like was sort of missing from this conversation as we launch into talking about discipleship and what it is, and it's number three on your outline um, and it's sort of like the beginning. It's sort of where this conversation begins. And I want to end with this because I think that it's sort of like the ledge that we're all standing on. Whether you've gone to church your whole life, whether this is the first time you've ever gone to church and you're not really even sure you want to be here, or um, you're pretty sure you're never going to do this church thing again, we're all on the same ledge. Every single human, human being on the planet is on this ledge. Um, and I love how like equalizing it is. Because in God's economy and a discipleship conversation, it does not matter how many times you've been to church. I can promise you that. It doesn't, ma it doesn't matter how many verses you have memorized. We're all on the same ledge. So it's number three. A disciple is one who is continually leaving. Before we can begin leaning into a lifestyle of listening and obeying, we must begin by leaving. Leaving what? You can't follow Jesus while you are still following something else. And this is like where the rubber meets the road for us. The discipleship journey begins with an initial decision to leave. An initial decision to disconnect from the thing that I'm worshiping and start worshiping God instead. And I want to look at this real quick as we close because I think that it's really interesting how Jesus called his first disciples and their initial response. So Matthew chapter 4 has this like cool picture. It's the first time Jesus is like, Calling his disciples, just the word disciple again, it's people who are just following him. So he finds these 12 guys and he says, hey, come follow me. And they do. And here's the first interaction. I just want you to see how it happens. He sa it says this, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water. For they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Okay, did you hear it? You hear what happened? Jesus makes this invitation. I want you to be my disciples. And they had a choice to make. And their initial response, like, we don't, we don't get all the blanks filled in for us. Like, I would love to hear, like, what is actually going through these guys' heads? They look at each other and go, what did he say? They had to have, right? 
I don't know, we don't get all the details, but in this moment, all they do is drop their nets, drop their nets, and like signifying more than just like, hey, let's go check out what this guy has to offer. They're like making a decision to walk away from their livelihood, their ability to take care of their family. All kinds of questions connected to that. What, what did it mean? But, but the only thing that we know or that the author wanted to make sure we connected with is that they made a choice to leave. It's pretty dang clear that they have no idea what they're leaving for. You think they know what it means to fish for people? Like that had to sound so ridiculous coming out of Jesus' mouth to them, right? He's got to mean something else. Maybe it's another like a new breed of fish or something. Like, well, I don't know what's going on in their minds, but they know, all I know is that they don't know what's going on. They don't have their act together, which the, the next like 20 chapters will show us. They didn't have their act together. They didn't know anything. In fact, they know way less than we do. But they left. They left. And they spent the next three years with Jesus failing most of the time. But they left. They dropped the nets. They began this journey. And they didn't know what they were doing. Mark 2 is another amazing story. It's another one of these 12. Again, Jesus is walking along. He did a lot of stuff while he was walking along. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Okay, tax collector doing his job, right? And we don't have time to go through the nuances of tax collecting, but it wasn't a good thing. He's not living a good life. Not the kind that you would think Jesus would like pinpoint him to be one of the fathers of the church. Didn't matter. Again, this is like the economy of God. It's, it's great. It's amazing. But the cool thing to point out is that he just got up. He just left. He just walked away. It's the same thing. The call of every human life is to begin following Jesus, to leave whatever it is you were pursuing and begin pursuing him. This is where the discipleship journey begins. I'm not talking about you quitting your job, okay? Please don't go quit your job and say, Jake said I should quit my job. I mean, Levi did it. No, that's not what this is about. This is about a posture of your heart, leaving behind, taking a step away from the thing that, that it, you worship, that is your God, and following Jesus instead. It's this initial step away and into something else. They didn't, they didn't let fear of the unknown keep them from leaving. They didn't let their past dissuade them from leaving. Like Levi could have gone, wait a minute, what? Like you don't want me. You couldn't possibly want me. Do you know what religious people think of me? He didn't say any of that. That's why Jesus picked him. Because none of the religious people liked him. That made him a perfect candidate. He didn't let that get in the way. He got up and he followed. They didn't ask any questions to begin this journey you don't have to have it all figured out you don't have to clean yourself up you just have to leave it's one initial step it's this basic like phrase so he got up and followed him whatever that means today and it might mean something different tomorrow and the next day discipleship's journey is one which we are continually leaving the things our flesh naturally wants to pursue Instead, listening to what God has for us and pursuing that. So here's the big question. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, your entire life, or you are still unsure you ever want to be tagged with that label, we are on this ledge. And we have to recognize that because you've labeled yourself a Christian does not mean that you fit the description of a disciple. 
And I'm afraid that these two things go hand in hand. There's not one without the other. And we need to do business with that in our own hearts. And so here we are on this ledge. Here we are face to face with this decision. And it's Jesus. It's coming to you. He's, he's walking up to you in your whatever booth. And he's saying, come and follow me. You don't have to have it all figured out. I want to I invite you into the like, most thrilling life you could possibly lead. It's going to be a little scary. It's, it's going to be a little bit hard. There's going to be things that aren't always super comfortable. But man, it doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than this. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And, and we're going to close with a song. But first I want to read to you from Romans chapter 12. Because I think this sort of epitomizes this decision that we have to make. This like on, on the cliff position we find ourselves in. And, and Paul is essentially like, talk, like writing this letter to these people who are on the same ledge. They're like sort of dipping their toe in this God thing. They're like, yeah, it sounds kind of cool. Um, and Paul's going to say, okay, great. But let me like, oh, you're not quite there yet. And this is what it's going to take. Hear this. And he starts out in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Feel the, the angst in Paul's voice. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he'll find acceptable. This isn't about good behavior. Please don't. Please don't miss that. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's setting us up here for the reality that we cannot possibly hear from God until we have chosen to sort of put ourselves before him and just say, yeah, I don't have it. I don't want to keep doing things the way I've been doing them. I want this to be different. I want to live like a disciple. He's pleading with them. He's, he's urging them. And because once we, once we jump off of that ledge, once we get out of that tax booth, once we drop our nets, then it says you will learn to know God's heart. You will learn to know God's will. What an awesome reality to live in. I believe we are at a crossroads at this church, God's church as a whole, in relation to the call of God's people to go and make disciples, I believe we have swung and missed. We have made it about a bunch of things that it was never, ever meant today. And so the question for us is, are we ready to be done with that? Are we ready? With clarity on what it means to follow Jesus and reorient our lives around what he initially called us to? And it starts with each of us individually saying, yeah, I, yeah, I, I want to listen. I want to obey. Whatever it is that God's calling me to, I want to do those things. We're going to close with a song that's like, it's like a what if song. It's a what if God's people, God's church looked a lot different than, than what we see today. What if we embraced this call and lived into something completely different? What might happen and, and I always go back to this bridge every time we sing this song because to me it is, it is the, it's the prayer of somebody who longs to be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus. And so 
as we sing it, I want you to sing it like this. And it says, heal my heart and make me clean. We need to be healed from the inside out. Like our selfishness and our pride that says, I don't, I don't obey anybody. Don't, don't bring that word here to me. We need him to heal our hearts, make us clean. Open up our eyes to things that are unseen. Show me how to love like you. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am, everything I have for the cause of the kingdom. And that's what it's about. That's what life is about. That's what life will always be about. That's what discipleship is all about. And my big question is, could it be as simple as listening and obeying? God, you have to do something in us. But man, what an exciting thing it would be to witness God's people taking our place, rising up and taking our place with selfless faith. The kind that puts us underneath you and simply says, I'm ready to listen and obey. Whatever it is, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, no matter how much it puts me um, outside of my, of my comfort zone for life, but it's worth it because you are worth it. God, set our eyes on the things that are unseen this morning, that we might lean heavy, heavy into everything that you've called us to. In Jesus' name.